2: Buying your first property is a massive step in your life. It gets you out of the rent race and it gets you into some security and some freedom and choice when you're living in your own home. But is it at the expense of going out for dinners, travel, all those luxuries that we'd like to do on a, on a daily basis to make our lifestyle worthwhile? I'm going to discuss this in more detail today. I'm John Pigeon and you're listening to My Millennial Property. So, Fiona in the Facebook group has said, Hey guys, do you think it's worth getting a mortgage if it means that I won't be able to save or have any spare money for dinners out, etc.? I met with a mortgage broker a few weeks ago and was advised I need to cut a decent amount out of my current monthly spend. I'm looking to buy a one-bedroom apartment and I have a very healthy deposit. The issue is my wage versus current expenses. I've recently received a pay rise, so there's nothing I can immediately do to increase my wage at my current job, unfortunately. Instead of buying an apartment, should I wait and invest a deposit some other way until I'm at a point in my life where I don't have to cut out every luxury to afford a mortgage? Or is it better to get into the property market now, no matter what? Thanks very much for your thoughts. Great question, Fiona. Now, I reached out to her personally and asked her if we could discuss this on the show, and she kindly said yes. So I have got a little bit of information further to this question. I think the first part of it is interesting where she mentioned that she spoke to a mortgage broker and advised to need to cut out a decent amount of my current monthly spend. Now, that can come from two angles. The first angle is, well, if we cut out a decent amount, you're able to save more on a monthly basis to be able to afford a mortgage. And the second part of it may be, well, if we cut out a decent amount and we show some track record of that... our our servicing or borrowing capacity might increase. However, banks will apply a certain amount of cost of living into our individual lives when we go and and, uh, do an assessment with the banks. So for example, if you're living at home with mum and dad, they will still take into account a certain amount of of rent as though you were going to rent in the real world because they believe that you may not be staying there forever. Okay, so we need to understand the cutting out the decent amount. Now, if we go back to the foundations of cash flow management and, and the foundations of wealth creation, we need to understand what's coming in and what's going out each month. So I'm presuming that Fiona has got this all sorted and she knows exactly what's coming in and out. I'm presuming also that she has an emergency fund up her sleeve, ideally two to three months worth of cost to exist, sitting there in a separate bank or, or a separate amount there never to touch and, and not to use for ongoing mortgage repayments, et cetera, if she was to buy something. Now, it's really important that the, the next component is to understand what do we want long term? So Fiona may be sitting here saying, well, and I know for a fact that she lives in Brisbane. So she may be sitting in Brisbane saying, well, I I want to be in Brisbane for the next 20 years. I want to bring up a family in in Brisbane and I want to be close to the action as in the CBD so that I have my lifestyle and my everything's there and I I don't want to be out in the suburbs because that's just not me. Or she might be saying, well, I'm happy to go and live 30, 40K out of the CBD, buy a house, I'd love to have a backyard, etc., and just really have a different lifestyle to the one that I'm currently living now, which is closer into town. The other alternative is, of course, rent vesting. So she's sitting here at the moment, renting and enjoying her lifestyle. Can she continue to do that as well as go and invest in a property somewhere else around the country, commonly known as rent vesting. Now, there's a few things at play before we decide whether that's for us at all. First one is, do I enjoy renting? Do I like the insecurity potentially of, of renting because I haven't got a house or, or a dwelling that I can call my own and, and I won't get kicked out by the landlord, etc.? Right. So understanding our risk profile around renting. So as you can see, a question in a Facebook forum such as this has so many elements to it and so many comments which I'm going to run through that we can't just ask a question and expect the, the world's problems to be solved in the, in the response group. When we think about the whole I'm renting, I'm insecure about my landlord saying to me, look, I'm going to sell the house or um, and, and and I'm going to sell the house and you need to move out and find a new one. That is becoming less and less of an issue for tenants. And the reason being is at the moment, unless we've been sitting under a rock, you'd realize that we have... A rental crisis on our hands right now. I was uh, listening to two people thrashing it out this morning. Uh, one was the Home Affairs Minister, and the other was the Shadow Minister um, for the for the Liberals, right? And they were talking about this rental freeze and how potentially it's being blocked by the, the Greens and and the reasons why they're potentially blocking it, etc. The, the the Liberals had. 10 years basically to do something about this, and the the current government has been in in power, I don't know, 12 to 18 months, and and now they're starting to do something about it. We know that essentially there's at least 10,000 homes that aren't getting built each year, every year in Australia, that need to be built to just simply consume the influx of people coming into the country or the new births in the country and people living longer, right? So that's the first and foremost, the problem. But if we come back to the renter or the, 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 the person that's uh, feeling vulnerable, less and less of this will be happening because they're, I think generally, the landlords don't want you to move out of their home because they want some certainty around it. Right. Now, the whole rent freeze thing is, well, we want to freeze rent for up to two years, and, and currently the, the commentary is, well, at least no more than uh, once one increase every 12 months, right? which I think is fair and reasonable. But essentially, the vulnerability of renting is on people's lips at the moment, and they want to take control by just simply going and buying their own home. What I want to thrash out with you right now is don't just go and buy something just because you want to get off that rent journey. Understand that not all property goes up in value, right? And uh, I think I've said on a previous episode that I did with Emily around uh, apartments is that I purchased something in Brisbane over 10 years ago and it has hardly gone up at all. I've bought other assets in Brisbane and they've doubled in the same time frame, right? So understand that not all property is created equal. And if we go and buy something that's cookie-cutter and there's a potential of oversupply, then we can run ourselves into a little bit of a pickle. And at the moment, vacancy rates around the country for any type of dwelling are sitting at 2%, 1%, even in some cases less than 1%, which is extremely low. However, If we look historically in the previous 20 years, for that particular dwelling in that particular suburb, they're the real stats that need to be looked at and analysed. Because I can tell you that in in the case of the apartment that I bought, what we've seen in the last 10 years is a massive spike of oversupply, and I I firmly believe that even though we've got a housing shortage we are going to see an oversupply of units and apartments in certain areas over the next five to 10 years, just simply because that's the nature of the beast when it comes to building in airspace. The the airspace is essentially unlimited as long as the council gives us the green light. So I'm going to have a little bit of a break and, and go to some of the commentary from the Facebook group. Jay says, too close to the bone. So he's basically saying, well, Fiona, if you're cutting back on the costs, well, I think this is what he's saying, if you're cutting back on the cost too much, you're not having a lifestyle, therefore, why are you doing it? Matthew says, my mortgage started off low six years ago and my payments were less than $1,000 per month. I'm on a sales wage plus com, so earn anywhere between $900 to $1,200 typically per week. My mortgage repayment's now $1,400 per month, so all my play money has been eaten up by the interest rate rises. I guess you've really got to weigh up how bad you want something of your own versus going out for dinners. Now, that's a really important point, Matthew, is that, okay, what are my highest values in my life right now? Do I value highest the ability to have my own home and know that I'm not going to get kicked out by the landlord and I can and paint the rooms and do up the kitchen and do whatever I want to there? Or do I really appreciate going out for dinners, catching up with friends, um, going to the movies, doing some consistent travel in my life, buying a coffee when I feel like it and not be stressed that I haven't got any money left in the bank? So it really is that value play that is what's at the highest of that list. Is it Having a roof over my head that I can call my own, or is it lifestyle based going out for dinners, buying a car every uh, every so often, etc, et etc cetera, et cetera. so really good point there matthew so fiona that 's some of the things we need to be thinking about when we 're making this really big decision because when we 're buying property, stamp duty or not it 's a big ticket item that has ongoing monthly repayments for the next thirty years, so we need to understand. Uh, We need to treat this seriously and and make sure it's going to be the right uh, decision for us. When I mentioned that property doesn't always go up and it's not created equal, Fiona might not be focused on getting capital growth out there. But if I haven't met anyone yet that doesn't want capital growth in their life, they think, yeah, it's going to be a bonus, but it's not a focus. So what is it for you, Fiona? Is it a real priority to create financial wealth out of property Or have you got shares and super and other assets doing their thing and your property is just simply a place to call home and if it goes up in value, it's a bonus. It's a very different mindset to someone saying, I'm going to buy an asset and I want it to perform at 6% per annum for the next 30 years and I'm going to retire on the basis of that growth over the journey. Kylie says, sounds like you're very comfortable with the way you're living, which is okay. Maybe invest other ways like shares, which will mean you don't have the mortgage or keep saving for a bigger deposit and a time you're ready to change your lifestyle, just remember not to spend more than you earn. Okay, so coming back to that cash flow piece where we need to know what's coming in, what what's going out, and, and I think Fiona's already on top of that. Now, Kobe says, and music to my ears, Kobe. Hi, Fiona. Is it worth buying an investment property instead of an apartment for yourself? There are some great investment buyers, advocates across Australia, i.e. envisaged Property, who specialize in purchases under 500K that could help grow your wealth. Then you could purchase an apartment down the track for yourself, right? Now, probably when I'm looking at someone's situation, that is a really common option for a lot of people. And and currently writing a book, um, you may have heard about it, but it's going to be released early next year. And that's going to be a major focus is how the hell does the next generation afford property around the country to live in, in the areas that they're currently living in now? What's generally happening is we've been brought up in a location where mum and dad might have worked hard for 20 years to upgrade themselves to this particular location. And now I'm 18 to 20 or 30. And I want to live in this same location because my friends and family are all here and I love this location. However, it's a million dollars higher than what I thought it should be. I can't afford it. So what do I do? Do I buy a one bedroom apartment in that location? Or do I go 20k, 30k further out and buy something that I can afford there? Or do I rent vest and still live in that location and still have that lifestyle, but grow my wealth somewhere else around the country? It gives ultimate flexibility when you do that. However, the idea of rent vesting for a lot of people is just not in their reign of thinking because we're told that we need to buy our own home to live in pay it off over the next 30 years and live happily ever after. Unfortunately, it's going to be unattainable for a lot of Australians going forward. There's a lot of suburbs around Australia now, mainly probably Melbourne and Sydney, where there are barriers around the outside of these suburbs. You drive past them and they're not physical barriers, they're financial barriers to say, well, I would live in that suburb if I could, but I can't. I haven't got that Sort of money, or I haven't got the servicing, or I don't want to impact my lifestyle because of the price of uh, we need to pay to get into that suburb. I'm going to take a break, and after the break, I'm going to come back and get some more of the commentary from Fiona's questions. Now, a bit more of a rant on this rent freeze bit. If the government goes ahead with this two-year rent freeze, which I don't think will happen, but let's say it does, it's going to make this rental crisis and this housing affordability crisis even worse. What I will see happen there is investors will be selling in their droves because they're like, okay, if I can't put my rent up for two years, I'm out of here. They generally will sell to owner occupiers because owner occupiers buy at least seventy percent of all properties that are available on the market to us, so they're likely to buy, uh, sell to an owner rock which means there'll be less rental properties. So it will affect the end user, which is the tenant trying to live in a home and pay rent because they can't afford their own home, which will then turn to more homelessness. Now at the moment we've got. As of the twenty twenty one census one hundred and twenty two thousand or more people that are homeless on a on a weekly basis, which is quite amazing and and disappointing and sad and all those things right um, and and I'm actually to the point where i'm working with a company called uh, orange sky laundry and we're raising money for homelessness. And and essentially what that company does, and I'll put the link in in the show notes as well, is they've got vans set up around the country. There's like 37 locations, I think, at the minute. And they basically set up in particular locations where there's a need, where there's homeless people, and they wash their their clothes for them and dry them, and they allow the the homeless to have a shower and just have some sense of of worthiness, but also more importantly, to speak to other people as well instead of that isolation that they may have when they're, they're homeless. So I, I think it's a it's an awesome thing that Orange Sky Laundry are doing. And they've been doing it very well for well, I've known probably five or six years of them uh, running this at least. But um, yeah, jump in the show notes and, and um, check them out because it's a it's an awesome initiative. But my point there is, it shouldn't be happening. We shouldn't have to force people onto the streets because the government's not building enough property. Anyway, off the uh, off the topic there, or sort of off the topic, but. Really um, passionate about it. William says, if the rent you pay now is less than the mortgage repayment if you own the apartment, then it's not worth it, right? That's an interesting point, William. If you're renting, let's say for $500 per week, which might be a little bit cheap, but let's run it anyway, for $25,000 per annum. The mortgage repayment, let's say it's a 400k mortgage at 6%. Uh, interest only is 24K per year. That's basically that equal point that says, I've got a 400K mortgage, the interest that I'm paying back to the bank is 24 grand per annum at 6%. If it's higher, then then obviously, yeah, you do the maths versus I'm renting for $500 a week, that's 25K per, per annum or a little bit more. So basically one for one, right? Now, William's saying, well, if if your rent is 600 a week and your mortgage is only 400K, then you're going to be in front by having that mortgage and taking that on. So he's basically saying also that even if the apartment doesn't go up in value, you're still leading a better lifestyle because the running costs are less, right? Now, apply principle to those repayments and council rates and water rates and insurances or strata that you may need to, to cough up for that particular property, then all of a sudden it's a different ball game. So we need to put all numbers on the table, don't we? It's, it's a great point to look at. Becca says, maybe cut back now putting more away for a deposit or emergency and practice having less money. Okay. Now that's easier said than done for a lot of people, but I like your thinking there, Becca. So can we put, or the the first part is, can we actually cut back and how much are we happy to cut back to? And it comes back to our values, doesn't it? Because, if we're not willing to cut back on those running expenses on our life that we that we enjoy and we get satisfaction and contentment out of then no matter how much we cut back it's it's going to make us grumpy and discontent and not want to actually have that mortgage in our in our life okay so She's also mentioned that there's strata fees in building insurance and council rates on, on top of those mortgage repayments. So I'm sure that Fiona has absolutely included that into her numbers. Now, hot off the press, Fiona has just messaged saying 500,000 would be the absolute maximum purchase price, but she'd be more comfortable with something closer to 450. Doesn't really know if she'd be in Brisbane for the next 20 years, but probably the next 10 for sure. So this is really critical information. So in the next 10 years, what does property prices generally do? Well, if we look at the last 50, 60, 70 years of real estate in Australia, over 10 to 12 years, a lot of assets would have doubled in value in that time. However, not all assets are created equal, as I said before. The housing market, yes, we can, we can say that in a, in a majority of locations that may have occurred. In unit and apartment markets, this definitely hasn't occurred in a lot of locations. So if it's not doing that, we're going to be in Brisbane for 10 years. How much is it going to cost us in rent? Rent money is dead money. Well, it is if we're not investing elsewhere. Okay, so that's important information. She's not ruling out. Uh, moving elsewhere in 10 years' time, for example, whereas others might be sitting here saying, well, I'm born in Brisbane. I love it. I'm never moving. This is it for me. There's definitely more positives towards buying something to live in now because we're going to be there over the longer period, but it doesn't mean buying something that's going to be inferior either. Kath said, you need to work out what's more important to you right now. The broker is only giving you advice on what lenders require for you to be serviceable for a loan. If your decision, it's your decision if you can trim your budget or not, what's more important? And that's, again, we've spoken about our highest values and our beliefs and what we want out of life. And Kath is is absolutely drinking the Kool-Aid when she says that. Need to work out what's more important right now. Agnes, the challenge is interest rates could go up again, strata fees go up a lot as the apartment ages, special levies and works arise, repairs need to be done, etc. That is an extremely important point and we've seen it in a lot of cases where people get stuck because of those strata fees and sinking funds are requiring more money and it's in a lot of cases out of our control, we just have to cough them up. The interest rate one is an interesting one. I went to a forum last week, and one of the economists uh, from the CBA said very firmly and confidently, "We have seen the peak of interest rates in Australia right now. We there won't be any more increases, and in fact, in twelve months' time." they'll be down 100 basis points. So interest rates will be down essentially 1% on what they are today. So watch this space. As you know, economists are always right or not. Um, So take it with a grain of salt, but their understanding from the research they've done is that interest rates aren't going to be rising more. But as Agnes says, should we be factoring in Interest rate increases? Absolutely. Just like if we had rental properties, we're factoring in vacancy rates. Sarah says, does your current budget include savings for holidays, new car if something happens to your current one, or anything else you'd like to do? Now, again, I'm sure that Fiona has factored all this in, but coming to the top of our list, is a new car, is a holiday, is overseas travel, is dinners, is coffees, are are they at the top of the list? And if they are, then what can we actually afford right now that's going to give us a combination of both? And I speak to a lot of people and they're like, well, I bought this home, uh, but I bought it on the smell of an oily rag, meaning that... I had to give up X, Y, and Z for three years to work hard, to save the money. I worked overtime. I was working 50 hours a week, and now I've got that asset. It's performed strongly for me. I've got security in my life. Fast forward 10 years, and everything's rosy. If I didn't put myself through those hard times, I wouldn't have been in the position I am now, both lifestyle-wise and also security wise and that's the important thing to to uh, address here folks is income and expenses are in our control and whilst Fiona's mentioned that she's uh, not likely to get a pay rise in the foreseeable future, there are plenty of jobs out there we can upskill we can get second jobs etc cetera, etc. Cetera. you might be snubbing your nose at the second job thing but it's short term pain long term gain. Malady says, When I built my first house, interest rates went up to over 9% and I usually had $13 left per fortnight after my bills were paid and foods, foods purchased, but it got my foot in the door and set me up for a great financial future. It was personally worth it to me. Malady, outstanding effort. $13 is trim living, isn't it, right? If you're living on the smell of an oily rag and you've got $13 left at the end of your pay cycle, you are cutting it fine. So she was prepared to do it back then to to be able to see the longer-term vision in all this, and this is what I want you guys to be doing is don't think the next 12 months or 12 minutes – be thinking about the next five to 10 years. And when I messaged Fiona this morning about this, what do you want in the next 20 years? She said, I can't think that far ahead at the moment. And not a lot of Australians can, but I implore you to jot down on a piece of paper, what do I want in 10 years? What do I want in 15 years? What do I want in 20 years? What are my values? What am I likely to be doing? What sort of occupation might I be in? how much money do I want in the bank or how much wealth do I want to create and put it out there, folks. We've got to have something to aspire to. But if we don't think more than five years in advance, I believe we can become very short-sighted in our thinking, which leads to very short-term decision-makings, which sometimes backfire on us and we have some deep regret that we didn't think about the longer-term future. So, Rounding all of this out, all right, And I'll, I'll uh, one last piece of commentary from Juliet. I thought about buying a property ten years ago by myself on a very average income. I didn't, as I thought I'd probably end up eating two-minute noodles as the budget would be tight. Yes, that property would be worth more now, but do I regret it? Not at all. It would have restricted me so much, and I have done some great things in that time that i wouldn 't have done if I had tied myself down like that. Do I regret not buying in two thousand twenty? yeah, completely with a laughing emoji okay, so some information to, to extract from that that was juliet 's decision back then, and she had no regrets over that, although she w- would wish she would have bought um, before this initial uh, this last boom just occurred okay. She was okay with that, and she enjoyed every minute of that decision that she made now that 's her values and her thoughts and her what she and and that 's what she wanted to do with her life back then so for Fiona and everyone else out there, if you're putting more of a priority on lifestyle and less a priority on having a roof over your head, then knock yourself out and continue to enjoy that lifestyle as much as you want. But don't come back in 10 years' time with the regret to say, well, I wish I bought myself an asset or a house to live in because that would have given me security and now I'm priced out of the market, et cetera, et cetera, okay? There's no right or wrong in all this, folks. There is absolutely no right or wrong. But there is a wrong way of approaching it if we didn't consider everything on the page. And this is the, the really important part. And I'm a firm believer for Fiona's situation and for everyone else's that we can continue to have a really solid lifestyle and still buy good assets around the country. Does that mean we're going to live in it? Maybe not. All right, so if you're open to and if you have the ability to think outside the square to say, look, I can go and buy a 500K asset that Fiona said she can or a 450K asset. And by the way, there's some very good assets around the country for that price that are basically holding their own in terms of cash flow and yield, even in these interest rate times. And I continue to live my life because currently Fiona's living the life that she wants at the minute by the sounds of it because she's got the discretional spending to go and do what she wants on a regular basis and she doesn't want that to all go by the wayside. So if she's got the funds, as she says, she's got a healthy deposit, she can go and buy an asset, it can do its thing over the next 10 years. If she's open to continuing to rent and then in 10 years she might have built extra super, extra shares, uh, extra cash reserves, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, she can wheel back around and then decide to buy her own home. Then, or it might be five years' time. the The time frame is, in some ways, irrelevant. But she's on that wealth creation journey. She's got herself some bricks, bricks and mortar, and away she goes. The whole one-bedroom thing, or the the, the two-bedroom apartment, or the one-bedroom apartment. Check out a, an episode we did a few weeks ago on that. We talk about the the pros and cons of having one-bedroom, two-bedroom, internal size, how many in the complex, etc. So so go and check that previous episode out. Fiona, thanks very much for putting this in the Facebook group because a lot of people have commented on it, meaning that a lot of people are interested in that outcome for you, but also are in a similar position. And as I said before, over the next 10, 15, 20 years, the next generation is going to be forced into this position, this fork in the road that says, what do I do? Do I go and buy an inferior asset so I can call it my own? Or do I go and rent vest because it feels i like am getting getting myself a better asset and continue to live where I want to live? Or do I move out 15 20k's to a more affordable area where I live but I don't know anyone and and I commute further to work so that costs me extra money etc cetera, etc. Cetera. No right and wrong, just understand what your values are and uh, and push ahead with that. Now, in finishing a nice silent plug by by me, we are releasing and I'm extremely passionate about this. It's called Your Online Property Coach. So for as little as $12 per month, we've got the ability to go in and access all of our resources, all of our templates, all of our videos, all of our downloads, all of our previous webinars. Basically, there's 25 years of resources there. You'll be given credits each, uh, each day in which to, to use for access to those. Um, And there's three different versions. There's the one-on-one coaching with myself, which is obviously a higher price point. But then for as little as $12 a month, you've got access to a lot of our online tools that we give our our existing clients as well. So there'll be a link in the show notes for that. We're launching it in the next sort of three to four weeks. I know I've mentioned it a few times on, um, on the shows, but pretty pumped about that. Hope you've enjoyed today's session. Hope you've enjoyed today's little yarn. Fiona, thanks again for allowing us to use your story, and thanks to everyone who's commented in the group as well. I'm John Pigeon, and you're listening to My Millennial Property.